0: The following message is brought to you by Sovereign Grace Church. We're honored that you're taking the time to stream this sermon. It's our hope that you are receiving this sermon as a supplement to your active participation in a local body of believers where pastors who know you and love you faithfully preach for your benefit every week. If you are not a member of a local church, then we'd encourage you to find a local church today. For more information about Sovereign Grace Church or other churches in our denomination, please visit www.sobgracemn.org. Well, I remember hearing a sermon on global missions um, where Dr. Danny Aiken, president of the seminary I attended, said something like this. Instead of asking, why should I go, you need to ask, why should I not go? The implication, what excuses could there possibly be to not go on mission for God? It was a a stirring message that summarizes that, that fine institution. They want to send missionaries to the nations. Since graduating from that seminary now about seven years ago, I have noticed how Dr. Aiken's exhortation to students to go has become more robust to include local missions. I've seen this through their social media outlets, specifically on Twitter, where students, professors, administrators, um, they'll, they're individually given this small sign. And it says on the sign, I am going to, with a blank space. They're individually given this sign, they take a picture and they post it. I'm going to. And each person fills in that blank space. Now, an entire academic institution, the fifth largest seminary in the world, has on their mind what, where, and who they are being sent to in order to reach people with the gospel. So I wonder if I were to hand out that same sign to you all in this room, what would you put? Just think about it for a moment. What would you put? I am going to blank, fill it in. Do you have an answer? Do you see yourself as a missionary sent by God? The more I pondered this question for myself, I could not help but think about the biblical precedent being followed and what each local church needs to follow. We read time and again in Scripture, God's people sent... To declare and display the gospel, thereby bringing glory to God. We read, responding to God as a sent Christian, it's a part of our DNA, it's who we are. Therefore, it is incumbent upon all Christians to be on mission for God. God sends, and we go. This message is not about evangelism programs. It's not about five steps that you can take to tell someone about Jesus. It's about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's about walking out your identity in Christ. And programs are fine. We have programs here at Sovereign Grace Church. I'm not against programs, but I am more interested in you faithfully living out the gospel by being on mission for God. Faithfulness. The Bible is full of stories about God calling and sending his people. Uh, Consider this a quick biblical survey of God calling and sending his people as missionaries in in the Old Testament. Let's just begin at the very first book of the Bible. Go to Genesis 12 here, where we read about the call of Abraham. At this point, he is still called Abram. Let's just look at this real quick. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Genesis 12, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. you. Hear that word? Go. Verse 2 And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4 So Abraham went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. I'm 35. He's 75, and he's going. 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they sent out to go to the land of Canaan. We know from the following chapters in Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 12, we read about the beginning of this development. But for the sake of our topic today, let's notice a few details about calling and mission. The Lord called Abraham, verse 1. And so he went, verse 4. Abram, before the Rand McNally maps, if you're younger, you don't even know what that is. Like when I traveled growing up, my parents, I'd pull it out and I'd look at all the population. You know, before those big maps, uh, before GPS, before you had your cell phone, uh, before Abraham, before all that, Abraham packed up his family and possessions and went to a country he did not know. I was just on Google Earth earlier this week. It is an amazing tool. You can find out uh, anything about a location, about Canaan. None of that. Abraham was a missionary for God. His age was irrelevant. His attachment to Haran, initially coming from early Chaldees and now Haran, that was irrelevant. The impact this journey would have on his family is not described. What was relevant was responding to God with faithful obedience. That's what was relevant for Abram. For most of us. We will not be called to pack up the house, put the family into the van or put yourself into the car uh, and move to another state or country. But all Christians are sent by God. All. We are sent by God to go across the street or into the next door office or to the co-worker or classmate. That's who we are sent to. Abraham had a location, yes. But more than that, He was sent by God to be a blessing to the nations so that God would be glorified. Another memorable passage in the Old Testament comes from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Just one verse here. Isaiah says, and I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom shall go for us? And then the Lord said in response to Isaiah, excuse me, Isaiah responds to the Lord and then said, here I am, send me. And then the Lord said, go and say to this people, dot, dot, dot. And the rest of that chapter fills out what that message is. In this one verse, we read a calling from God and a response from Isaiah. God had a message for Isaiah to deliver. Isaiah knew that it was in his DNA to share the message from God to his cultural context. Here's the difference between Isaiah and Abraham. Isaiah just went to the people that are right in front of him. His context to to deliver this message was right there. Isaiah was still a missionary for God. He was sent to the people that were right in front of him. Here's just one more Old Testament example. Probably one of my favorites because I identify with this individual the most. Um, Reluctant Jonah, one of the minor prophets in the back of your Old Testament. God sent him to Nineveh. Initially, Jonah disobeyed. (laughs) That's why I identify He fled from the call of God, but God did not give up on Jonah. God helped Jonah to see that he was designed to declare God's message, his message to the Ninevites. And I could go on and on and on recalling prophets, kings, regular dudes like Jonah who were sent by God to reach the nations wherever the nations were to be found. From the first book of the Bible to the last, we read about God who sends his people. Not just a segment of his people, but all of his people. So, what does all this sending in the Old Testament have to do with us? A church living out in light of the Old and New Testament? The New Testament builds upon what we read in the Old Testament. The New Testament crystallizes the calling and message of the Old Testament because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just one week after we celebrated Easter, today we turn, we're going to turn to John 20, a post-resurrection scene about Jesus visiting his disciples on the same day he rose from the grave. And I think what you'll see in this passage is, what could have kept the disciples from being on mission for God can keep us from being on mission. But God in his kindness meets his people right where they are at. God is so kind. So let's pick it up in John 20. You can begin in verse 19. If you've got your smartphone or your Bible, you can open up or scroll, click on there. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. If you withhold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. It's the word of the Lord. In this passage, we see the connection between the crucified Christ and the resurrected Christ. Christ, who showed up on the scene, came with holes in his hand and a puncture on his side. And in that locked room, the risen Lord knew the heart of his disciples. And he was going to send them on mission, the same mission that Jesus had been Called to. So, I'm going to unpack this passage, and I'm going to do it by highlighting two broad categories. First, I'm going to make two observations about this scene that we just read. And then two, I'm going to look closely at the words of Jesus. And it's my sincere hope that by the end, Christian, you will see that just as it's in the internal God's nature to be on mission to redeem his people through Jesus Christ, that same mission is a part of us. It's part of our DNA. Therefore, when Christians are sent, they respond by joyfully going. So let's make those observations about the context. First, the Apostle John writes these verses wanting to bring attention to the sudden appearance of Jesus. John wants to make clear for the reader that no one unlocked the door to let Jesus in. Do you notice that? The door was locked. His resurrection with his wounds still visible, transformed Jesus' old body into a glorious resurrected body. It's clear that Jesus appears in the room yet retaining the physical characteristics of a human being. No one let Jesus in. Jesus didn't have like a key or a wire pick to get himself through the door. John is trying to show us the utter divinity of Jesus, the resurrected Son of God. The power of the presence of Jesus after his resurrected, it, just, it can't be overstated. You can't overstate his resurrection. This ragtag group of guys had little motivation to continue this movement begun by Jesus. But then he appears. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 15 why the resurrection is so, so important to Christianity and to Christian mission. Here, here's 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Now verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. No resurrection means no Christianity and no motivation to respond to the calling of God to be sent. This foreordained plan for Jesus to die on a cross, rise from the grave, is of utter importance for gospel mission. Paul says a few verses later, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Therefore, the the appearance of Jesus to his disciples was an absolute game changer. The resurrection of Jesus confirmed the scriptures, it disregarded all human logic. All, All these people who are pro science and not anti science, but marching around, it defied their logic. You don't rise from the dead. Jesus did. The disciples would eventually be empowered by the Holy Spirit with the faith to share this good news. This last week, um, my wife, Cherie, sent me a text about a conversation between Chloe and Izzy. If you're friends on Facebook, I think you probably saw it. Um, It it went something like this. Izzy, my my three-year-old, Initially begins by talking to mom and says this, "Happy Easter, mom!" And mind you, it's Wednesday after Easter Sunday. Happy Easter, mom! And Chloe responds, "It's not Easter anymore." As he says, "It's Easter in my heart." And as a dad, you're like, "Yes!" <laughs> she gets it All right. You know, it, 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 it's a cute and, and you know, it can be a funny story. But the kernel of truth is so powerful. The appearance of Jesus to his disciples the very day he rose from the grave set into motion the most profound and powerful mission this world has ever seen. And Jesus invites his disciples, past and present, to participate in this mission of the resurrected Christ. Also notice that the reason why the room was locked, which is... My second observation. The room was locked because the disciples were fearful of the Jews. Verse 19. Just a few days earlier, they witnessed the death of Jesus. Their leader, master, and teacher was executed by hanging on a cross. And now they were fearful for their own life. Fear kept them isolated in this locked room. And i got to pause and simply ask, do you blame the disciples for locking the room? People We're on the streets looking to kill them. Seems like the prudent thing to do. I'm not sure I would have reacted any different if I was in their situation. Someone's looking to kill me, lock the room and hide. And so Jesus sees their fear. He sees my fear. He sees your fear. I think Jesus is touching on a nerve, not only the disciples, but for us. One of the primary reasons... Why Christians do not share the gospel is because of fear. They're fearful. For disciples and for many Christians throughout the world, it is a fear of physical death because of persecution. That's, that's legit. For you and me, it could be a fear of being thought differently by friends, neighbors, family, and coworkers. For your youth out there, want to be perceived as cool. So you're fearful that you're not being seen as cool so you reserve your faith, you kind of keep it to yourself. Perhaps you fear someone who is different from you. A person who doesn't share the same language, skin color, or culture, or religion as you. Whatever your fear, Jesus wants to address it this morning so that you can be on mission for God. And so Jesus addresses the fear of his disciples with one word, peace, peace. Verses 19 to 21 are worth repeating here. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. That was Jesus' response to their fear. Jesus says twice, peace be with you. Peace be with you from Jesus to the disciples is a most appropriate greeting just hours after he rose from the dead. One commentator said it like this. Shalom, which is peace in Hebrew, on Easter evening is the complement of his it is finished on the cross. For the peace of reconciliation and life from God is now imparted. Shalom, accordingly, is supremely the Easter greeting. Not surprisingly, it is included along with grace in every greeting of every epistle of Paul in the New Testament. We've got to understand what Jesus is trying to say here. Because overcoming fear and responding to God as a sent one hinges upon rightly knowing what Jesus means. This is what Jesus does not mean when he says, Peace be with you. He's not wishing upon you a trouble free life, he's not concerned with world peace the way we understand world peace. He's not talking about an absence of stress in your life. And Jesus isn't telling his disciples and us to find an inner peace within ourselves. If that's what you're looking for, peace, you're going to keep looking forever. You won't find it. The peace of God, which Jesus offers his disciples and us, pushes out any fear that may exist in our life. This peace, or shalom, encompasses all the blessings of the kingdom of God. This peace is a promise for his sent ones. John says a little bit earlier in his gospel this. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. See the contrast? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This shalom or peace offered by Jesus is himself. Peace with God is believing that Jesus, the Son of God, is the crucified and resurrected Christ. Believing this kind of peace leads to reconciliation with the God of the universe. In in this post-resurrection narrative in John 20, Jesus is fulfilling his promise. He gives them peace which the world does not know of. And it would cause the disciples, this peace, which is driving out fear, would cause the disciples to turn the world upside down. A faith-filled peace removes the barrier of fear. So back real quick to my point on fear. Barriers may exist in your life where you need the peace of Christ to enter in so that you can reach others with the gospel. I, got, I know i got areas. I can sit up here and dialogue about that for about an hour. And I need more peace of Christ in my life. In connection and flowing from the offering of peace to his disciples, Jesus, we read, sends them on mission. He asks the disciples to go preach the gospel to the very people they were initially fearful of. Just as Abraham, Isaiah, Jonah, and a myriad of other Old Testament saints were called to go... Jesus now sends his disciples. But what I want you to notice is something theologically significant in verse 21. God did not and does not ask his disciples to do something that he has not already done. Just as much as it is a part of the DNA of a Christian to be sent by God to bring him glory by proclaiming the gospel, it has always been a part of the eternal God's DNA to send for the sake of mission and his glory. Don't miss this. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, verse 21. God the Father sent God the Son to be on mission. And when we read ahead in the Bible, we know the Holy Spirit was sent to aid in this same mission. What this amounts to is that the Godhead is defined by mission. Mission reaches back into the eternal relations of the Trinity. And there's this dynamic interrelationship between sender and sent. I mean, is there any greater picture of mission than the incarnation of Jesus Christ? God, the, the Son, was sent into the world on mission. He was sent on mission to redeem his elect people for himself. And his mission was not simply to be a great teacher. His mission was not simply to tell us about morality. No, he needed to be more. The world has teachers. Everyone wants to talk about morality. The world needs something more. He was on mission to be the savior of the world. We read in the Gospel of Matthew that an angel says to Joseph, concerning his wife Mary, this. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the kind of mission Jesus was and is on From eternity past, Jesus knew that he was always on mission to redeem his people by taking on humanity, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, although there was no right to kill him. And then, as we celebrated last Sunday, to rise from the dead, proving that death had no claim on his life. So I ask you, Christian, do you view your mission to reach others with the gospel in light of Jesus' redemptive mission for you. If you don't make the direct connection, you're likely on a different mission. What there needs to be is unity between the mission of the Godhead and his people whom he sends into the world, the church. D.A. Carson, um, super smart guy, I like him. Um, He's so clear and so lucid. He says this, Jesus was sent by the Father into the world by means of the Incarnation with the end of saving the world. Okay, Greek theology. Now that Jesus' disciples no longer belong to the world, they must be sent back into the world in order to bear witness along with the paraclete. Theological word for Holy Spirit, paraclete. Karsten is right. Just as Jesus was sent into the world we are now being called to send back into the world to bear witness. We are ambassadors for Christ, called to take his His message forth to every school, coffee shop, mall, downtown, neighborhood, to atheists, agnostics, Muslims, and the spiritually indifferent millennials. There's plenty of them out there, along with Muslims and atheists and agnostics. If there's a living soul in a specific locale we are called to go i'm going to take a moment to address a modern and common misconception about the mission in the local church i've been in um, numerous conversations over the years with pastors and church members about the relationship between a church focusing on discipleship opposed to being missional They, they kind of get put up against each other. There's one camp of people who say, discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. We've got to focus on growing people in their relationship with God. And another camp says, mission, mission, mission. The local church needs to be more concerned with reaching people with the gospel. It's a false dichotomy. The local church needs to be more concerned with both. Both. So my answer is yes and yes. It is unbiblical to pit discipleship and mission against each other. We are called in the Bible to do both. We're called, we use this language around here. We're called to grow and go. From discipleship flows mission, and from mission flows discipleship. Let's stop pitting the two against each other. Now I'll even argue this to my grave. That the maturity of a discipled Christian is oftentimes seen in his or her participation in God's mission. Because I just made an audacious claim that I'll take that to my grave. I've got to have someone back me up. Another super smart guy. To the degree to which individuals and in churches are committed to mission, both locally and throughout the world, will be the measure of how godlike or how godly you are. An individual growing in his or her discipleship includes becoming more aware and active in mission. Jesus never separated the two. He actually shows how they're connected. And so we need to see that in Scripture. Here's just one example from the Gospel of Mark he Jesus went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him and on the sabbath Jesus he began to teach in the synagogue and, and Jesus went about among the villages teaching and then a few verses later and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits you see what's happening here Jesus teaches his disciples so that they could grow and in a matter of moments he sends them out with authority Authority over unclean spirits. They were preaching the coming of the kingdom of God. Growing and going. Even in our passage this morning, we read that Jesus continues to push the disciples to grow and putting away fear and replacing fear with peace while at the same time sending them out to proclaim the gospel. We are to grow in our relationship with God while we are going And as we are going, God is still calling us to grow. They're connected. We can't separate them. As we grow and go, it is kind of the Lord to give us his peace to displace our fears. But he doesn't stop there. The Lord does not stop there. The Lord does not want his people disconnected from a relationship with God while we declare the gospel. Therefore, We are given God the Holy Spirit while we are on mission. Verse 22 and 23. Receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus says to his disciples in that locked room. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven of them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The inclusion of verses 22 and 23 loudly highlight the role of the entire Godhead on this mission for God's people to be redeemed through Jesus Christ. We've already seen that the Father sent the Son, the Incarnation. That's missional. And now the Son tells his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. So what are, the, what are the implications of being empowered by the Holy Spirit as we go to declare the gospel and make disciples? I want to quickly highlight three implications of the, roles, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we go. The first might be obvious. When you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, God is with you while you're on mission. We need to be actively thinking about that. Christian, God the Holy Spirit is working in you right now. And when you go on mission, he is working in you. John 16 says this, verse seven. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth, into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. We're like tools in the hand of God. I say that to the youth leadership team all the time before we go serve the youth on Wednesday nights. We're tools in God's hand. And he desires us to be used by him. So he uses us for his glory, to get on his mission. The second implication of receiving the Holy Spirit is authority. In verse 23, it says that we have the power to forgive and not to forgive. What this is alluding to is that we are spokespeople for God. Now, we have no authority on our own, but God divinely imparts his authority for the proclamation and advancement of the gospel. So Christian, as you go on mission, you need to realize that God has imparted you authority by the Holy Spirit. So not only do we get the peace of Christ because of Christ, we get Jesus himself, But as we go, we get authority that comes through the Holy Spirit to go proclaim and preach the good news to the nations. Globally and and right here. The third implication, which I find to be a comforting implication, is that God ultimately does the work. You ever been in those situations? I mean, I have this in my notes, but I think it's coming to mind, it's worth saying, where you're trying to share the gospel with somebody. You put all the pressure on yourself. You've done that before? Like, I gotta do, I gotta do. God is working through you, Christian. And God is the one who ultimately does the work. Yes, we're called to be faithful as we go, but God is there doing it. By his grace, not, not anything you impart, but by God's grace, he will draw his people to himself. That should be relieving for all of us as we go on mission, it should be relieving. God is the ultimately God is ultimately the one doing the work. We are called We are called by God to participate in His mission. But by doing so, God is the one at, who is at work and is active in people's lives. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who draws His elect people to Himself. When he, like I said, when he actually stop to think about it, it takes all the pressure off us because God is just asking us, Sean Powers, I just want you to be faithful. I just want you to be faithful. To be faithful to share the gospel, so I've gone on and on about how all Christians have missions in their DNA, and um, and that we don't need to fear because we have the peace of Christ. And our participation in God's mission to see people redeemed comes with an empowered authority through the Holy Spirit. But here is the question I pose to myself in light of today being Local Mission Sunday. Why on earth would Sovereign Grace Church partner with outside ministries to get on a mission? Kind of feels like outsourcing, huh? Let's make them go do it. What's going on? I have two answers to the question. First, partnership does not negate each individual's calling to go and respond to God's calling. I think I've hammered the, home, hammer, hammered the point home in the last 30 minutes or so. But you all have neighbors, coworkers, and classmates, et cetera. You're called to go. God has put you in a specific place to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's opportunities all around you that have nothing to do with these partnerships. So we're all called to respond. Second, partnership with like-minded organizations can allow you to get on mission in ways the church might not be able to facilitate otherwise. Think of it as an on-ramp. We're in the local church, and we want to get involved over here, so we need an on-ramp to get involved. Uh, For example, we don't have an ultrasound machine to care for women who might be considering abortion. Therefore, we joyfully partner with Amnion Crisis Pregnancy Center because they have all the necessary equipment and expertise so, you will find that each ministry we partner with will have a distinct gospel application. So, before ending, I want to take a few moments to briefly highlight each ministry represented here today. And what I hope is that everyone in this room will take time to visit the tables, ask questions, and hear about their story, and pray and consider getting involved in the mission. I want to encourage everyone to be on a mission, to reach neighbors, coworkers, etc., et cetera, but also to get on mission with these ministries. So there's, there's six represented here today. We also gave you a handout. looks like this. If you didn't get one, you can find one of our hospitality team members. If you turn it around to the back side, you'll see the eight that we partner with. There's six here today. Put this bookmark in your Bible. Pray for these ministries. So here, here are the six that are here today. Pastor John already mentioned Amnion. If you've been around Sovereign Grace long enough, you know that our support for Amnion goes back many years, from the Baby Bottle Drive to the Walk of Life and their annual banquet. We support Amnion because we believe God cares about all human life, including unborn babies, and we care about those mothers as as well. So we love Amnion. Go, uh, the Walk of Life, like John mentioned, is coming up. Please sign up. I'll be there and walk with us. Y'all walk, right? We, talk, we discussed that earlier, right? I have a vague recollection of being able to walk. Get a step counter. I don't know. Whatever motivates you. Start walking. But walk with uh, Amnion. Walk for life. We love supporting Amnion Crisis Pregnancy Center. Pastor John also mentioned cars. Uh, with Mitch Hagen leading the way, the mission of cars is to serve single moms, single women, widows, financially limited individuals, and others who may need assistance with automob- automobile repairs and do so at a discounted... Right, now the two marion areas to serve there. If you're handy um, with a wrench, uh, talk to Mitch, get involved. There's a need. Also, hospitality needs as well. Sometimes in talking to Mitch, I hear there's people there for four or five hours. What a great opportunity to dialogue, get to know someone's life, uh, pray with them, minister to them. So if you, if you have the gift of hospitality, consider partnering in that way. Uh, I couldn't fix my own tire or change my own oil, so maybe I'm in the hospitality category. Um, Third ministry. For just about three years, Sovereign Grace Church has been partnering with Prison Fellowship. Ladies here go to the Shakopee Correctional Facility to minister to those women. These women go. Monique leads worship. Delaine shares the word, and there's usually time after the service to minister specifically to those ladies to pray with them. What a wonderful ministry that we have going on. So, ladies, if you've got a heart to minister to other women, specifically those in prison, that is the ticket. Please go visit that table and get involved. They've been doing wonderful things there. I've gone in the past, and it is so awesome to see God, the Holy Spirit, move in those women's lives. They're hopeless, and the only hope that sets them free is the hope found in Jesus Christ. And that's what they're going for. So thank you, ladies, who have participated in the past. If you're interested, we want to welcome you to get involved going forward. Safe Families for Children hosts vulnerable children. Safe Families creates extended family like supports for desperate families through a community of devoted followers who are motivated by faith to keep children safe and to reunite families. We love safe families for at least two reasons. There are more. Here's two. First, they love the gospel. We love to save families because of that. Second, they desire to keep families together. And they ask the church to come alongside them to help keep families together by hosting kids or supplying needs. Uh, Tani Hansel and Lori Hoganson will be at the table um, to answer any questions. If you want to get involved, there's, there's a ton of different ways for you to get involved. If you're saying to yourself, you know, I can't host somebody, can I do something else? The answer is yes, you can. You can. We want to keep families together. What a beautiful thing that save families is doing more recently we began to partner with trafficking justice who are helping us to get involved in the fight against human trafficking what i also call what other people are calling modern day slavery i love this statement from their website listen to this it is our faith in jesus that gives us the hope of rescue restoration and complete wholeness he jesus is the one who sets the captives free. Amen. The folks from Trafficking Justice have come alongside Sovereign Grace in recent months to help facilitate quarterly awareness and training events. The short-term goal is to see members from Sovereign Grace Church get equipped to reach out around the 2018 Super Bowl, which is going to be in Minneapolis. Uh, Number one event in the world every single year from what I understand where most trafficking happens is at a Super Bowl. So we want to get involved. We want to engage. So if you have a heart for that, go visit the folks from Trafficking Justice. Uh, just kind of an FYI as well, here at Sovereign Grace, we have a For Freedom Initiative. We, we have our uh, For Freedom Initiative. We have our Freedom Boutique. Uh, we do some other things as well where we engage uh, trafficking efforts. But Trafficking Justice has come alongside to help facilitate some of these uh, teaching moments. So thank you for them for coming and for par- partnering with us. Last but not least, Youth Impact Racing was founded by Adam Brockley in 2013. A whistle, indeed. And exists. To, it's not a. It's a, you know, like a affirmation. Um, in 2013, um, Adam founded that member here at Sovereign Grace Church, and it exists to share the good news of the gospel by building relationships with teens providing life skill training and offering mentorship through the avenue of RC racing. They do this by teaching teens, young people, all there is to know about go-karts, from classroom theory to hands-on learning, team building, and racing on a track. Teens will have the chance to learn responsibility and the value of friendship. And here's what I really love, what I really love about youth impact racing. RC cars are a means to reach teens with the gospel. Who doesn't want to play the with the car, right? You know, I would crash it in about two minutes. But then I'm stuck there and I get to hear the gospel. Awesome. Let's share the gospel with teens. So those are the six ministries represented here today. My encouragement to you, like I've said, is to go visit them. Talk with them. If God is putting a particular ministry on your heart, my encouragement to you is press in and Get involved. Get involved. Let me go back to what I said at the very beginning. They gave you a sign that said, I am going to, with the blank space, what are you going to put into the blank space? All Christians should be putting something into that blank space, all Christians. I am going to blank.